How's everybody doing? Good? Praise the Lord. You know, as, uh, as with me, if you've, if you've been around me for any length of time and we're talking through and we're studying through, you know, as we study through books of the Bible, as we're talking about going to Israel, you know, different worship songs and everything like that, you'll know that I have a whole lot of favorites. It's like every book we start studying, oh, this is my favorite book in the Bible. You know, every chapter, oh, this is my favorite chapter. You know, every song, this is my favorite song. When, when we're going through all the pictures of Israel, oh, this is my favorite place, you know. And, and as we sit here, you know, on the eve of Thanksgiving, I got to say, right now, Thanksgiving's like my favorite holiday, you know. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, again, for a lot of different reasons, I, I, do, I, do, really, I do really enjoy Thanksgiving. And I think one of the things for me is the simplicity of what Thanksgiving is all about. The simplicity of the fact that just in its name itself, Thanksgiving, it tells us what it's all about. It's about giving thanks. It's not about being thankful. Because being thankful can carry several connotations, right? I mean, it can, if I'm thankful for something, it can mean I'm relieved. Because right now I can tell you I'm thankful that last week when I had my week off, I got all of my Christmas lights hung up on my house. So tomorrow, well, Friday, when you're doing it, <laughs> I'm done. So I'm thankful. It's all done. But that is, uh, that's, that's because I'm, I'm glad I don't have that yet to do. But also with thankful is being grateful. And thanksgiving carries that meaning because you can't change that, the meaning of that word. It's you know, a compound word, giving thanks, thanksgiving. And that, that it's had that meaning this day, tomorrow, that we celebrate. It's had that meaning since the beginning, all the way back to 1621, the first thanksgiving. They didn't call it thanksgiving then. But the reason it's called Thanksgiving today is because what they did on that day in 1621. You see, there was a whole bunch of, of people that had come to America that were Christians, that came here for religious freedom, to be able to come here and worship God, the living, true and living God that you and I worship, to be able to have that freedom to do that. They came here and had a brutal first winter where many of them died and then came through and then now they have their first harvest season and with these new friends these this indian tribe that was near them these new friends that god had provided for them and they realized it with this this connection with this these indians was a gift from god and they realized that everything that came out of the ground was a gift from god and so they got together and they gave thanks to god regardless of what any revisionist historian might try to tell you Tomorrow, the first one that we celebrate, remember tomorrow, was just that. They gave thanks to the true and living God because they realized that everything that they had was a gift from God. Every morsel of food, every friend, every breath, especially after losing many people through that, realizing that their very lives are a gift. And I say all of that because, again, I need to, I, I believe in the KISS principle because I need it myself, the simplicity of things. You know, the KISS principle, keep it simple, saint, that it's, we gotta, we gotta keep things simple. And as we're looking at, at this and what we're celebrating tomorrow, Thanksgiving, the, the word, the, the, there's a Greek word that is translated right out Thanksgiving, and it's, uh, 
Eucharistia or Eucharistio, and it means thanksgiving or giving thanks, and it's used over 50 times in the New Testament. And we'll look at a couple of those as we tie things up. But thanksgiving, that's something that as Christians we need to do regularly. Not just tomorrow, obviously. Tomorrow's set aside that we kind of focus on that as a country. And you know what? We claim it as a Christian holiday, okay? Non-Christians can be a part. They can do whatever they want. They can call it Turkey Day. They can do whatever they want. As long as we understand what tomorrow's all about, that's okay. But I, I, I'm, I'm going to do something that I, I might regret for two, one of two reasons. One, either nobody will respond, or two, I'm going to have too many responses and I'm going to have to cut it off. But I wanted to start out because I appreciate on Wednesday nights, normally, we don't have kids with us for the most part. Kids are in Iwana and doing their thing on Wednesday night, but we have a lot of kids with us tonight. And so I wanted to see if there's any kids that would like to share. And when I say kids, I know all of you would probably say I qualify as that. We're all God's kids. I get that. But let's just say if you're... you're 15 and under. And if you'd like to share with us something that you're thankful for, and I, I'm going to run out to you if you would. So, hey, right on. Okay, so I got one. Would you tell everybody what you're thankful for? For God. Amen. All right. Anybody else thankful for that? Cool. All right. All right. My cat. Your cat. All right. Anybody else thankful for a cat? All right. Okay. We've got a couple of those. Okay. My dogs. Dogs. All right. So pets. That's cool. All right. My family. Right on. Cool. Her family. The Bible. The Bible. Hey. Right on. My salvation. Hey. All right. Cool. All right. All right, here we go. One more. What Jesus did. What Jesus did. All right. Well, hey. I got nothing else to add. Let's pray. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, guys. You know what? When we, when we look at, at this and again tomorrow and what the, the, the Bible you know, gives to us in, in thankfulness, guys, we have so much to be thankful for. And as I'm just thinking through that again, I have... I'm so thankful for my family. I am so blessed. I grew up in a Christian home, great parents, my sister, we just had such a close-knit family, and then my, my family now, my wife and my children, grandchildren, so excited tomorrow that we're all getting together and celebrating the, the day together and being thankful together. But you know what, quite honestly, they don't have any choice. <laughs> You know, they're, 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 they're my family. They, that, wasn't done by, that, that wasn't done by choice. That's put together. And yes, they, they, they love me, but, you know, I, I don't think any of them will be offended. They're not perfect. And the thing that, as I was kind of thinking through that thing, one of the things that just struck me today to be, that, I'm, that I'm so thankful for is they desire my, to have fellowship with me. But you know what? God desires to have fellowship with me. God desires to have fellowship with you. And on the surface, just at the first gloss with that, that might be, okay, I understand. But let, let, let's back up again. Your, your family, they might desire to have fellowship with you a little bit or whatever, but again, they don't really have any choice. They're your family. God has a choice. 
We're all, we all put up with each other's, you know, quirkiness and all that other kind of stuff because we all realize that we're all fallen. God's perfect. And yet he chooses and he desires to have fellowship with us. So much so that he puts things together and he planned this so that though the fellowship was broken with sin, it's restored through Jesus. And just kind of just a couple of thoughts as I was thinking through this. Um, back in Leviticus chapter 23, we're not, I'm not going to go through verse by verse with this, but if you have your Bibles, you could certainly turn there. Leviticus chapter 23, God tells Moses, he gives Moses, in, as he's giving him the law, giving them the law and everything, he gives to them an outline of festivals, of feast days, that they are to celebrate throughout every year as the years continue on. And God outlines this from the beginning in Genesis, or I'm sorry, Leviticus 23. It says, verse 1, the Lord spoke again to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, the Lord's appointed times which you shall proclaim as, a holy, con- as holy convocations, my appointed times are these. And my appointed, the the Lord's appointed time, it's an interesting word that it's not used in Hebrew outside of this. And so the translation is a little difficult, but most agree that it basically falls in line with meeting times designate, that God designates to meet with his people. Feasts that he designs so that that his people can meet with God. And I, again, it just kind of drew me to that because, again, notice it's not the people trying to get to God. It's God's lining this up so that the people can meet with him. He's the one who is doing this. And the, it's lined up. We're not going to look at all of them. We're going to look at the three real quickly tonight that were required feasts that every, that every adult male come to. They were required, the three feasts. The first one is outlined in actually three parts at the beginning of chapter 23. And it's the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins with Passover. And Passover is the, the feast that it goes back to Exodus chapter 12 when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. When they were in bondage, when they were in slavery in Egypt, and God, through the plagues and the miracles then, came to the final plague and it was the, where the firstborn, the first male child or the firstborn will be killed. And the only way to avoid that is to put the blood of a, of a spotless lamb on the doorposts and lentils of the house. And then the angel of death would then pass over the house. And so those that did that, the Jewish people, they followed the, the, the command of God. And the angel of death passed over and then Pharaoh then basically threw them out then and they they and then they got out god delivered them through that and that's that is then what they celebrate passover going forward from there um first peter chapter 1 verse 18 and t- through 20 says knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. 
For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Peter tells us here, and we understand now through Paul's teaching and through the New Testament, that, that Passover, yes, it was designed to, as, again, that vehicle with which they were taken out of Egypt and remembered back their delivery from slavery. But Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That was a shadow. Passover, that celebration, being delivered from bondage of slavery in Egypt, was fulfilled in Christ. The bondage of slavery to sin that you and I were in delivered because of the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God slain for us. That's Jesus. And we see, as Peter tells us, guys, before the first Passover, God had this planned. Before the foundation of the world, God had this plan put together for us so that we could have our sin forgiven. One of you said you're thankful that your sins are forgiven, that we're for salvation. God put that plan into place before the foundation of the world so that we could have continual fellowship with him that we could have restored fellowship with him, even though sin breaks that fellowship. Now, moving on from that, the, 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 fel- the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was actually a, a feast that went on for seven days where all the leaven was to be removed from the house. And leaven is a, a picture of sin. And so that was what was done there. It, they would even take the final piece and they'd, they'd sweep it up even with a feather duster and into a, into a piece of paper and then they would burn all of that. Every bit of leaven to be removed from the house. And again, a, a wonderful picture then, again, for us to have that sin removed from our life so that we can continue to have that fellowship with the Lord. But don't you love that Passover becomes before that? in that picture that we understand that God doesn't expect us to get cleaned up before we come to him. God doesn't say, you know what, you get, you get all of that taken care of, you fix your, your problem, then you can come to me. No, the problem is we can't fix it. We can't clean ourselves up. So he says, I did it, you, you come to me now, and now because of Passover, because of the fulfillment of Passover in Jesus, we can. We can then move forward in our lives in sanctification. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been freed not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. And, and the world looks at that and they look at Christians and they say, man, you mean because you're a Christian, you don't get to do this or this or this? And you know what my answer to that is? No, because I'm a Christian, I don't have to do that and that and that. I've been delivered from that. I, the, guys, walking this life out as Christians, we, we could all give testimony to those things that the world, again, says, man, how, I don't know how you Christians can get along. I, I don't know how I got along before. The, the, the life that I have now in Christ, I wouldn't go back. You know, it's like Paul said, all of those things that he used to chase after, he considers them just a pile of garbage now 
that he knows what it means to have Christ and to have this fellowship with him, to be able to have this communion with him, which by the way, I don't know if you, you caught that, the, the Greek word that I'd mentioned earlier, Eucharistia and Eucharistio, meaning that again, giving thanks, thankful. For those of you, I, we don't use the term around here much, but Eucharist, communion, giving thanks. That, that, that Passover that Jesus celebrated 1,500 years after it's instituted here. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus speaking to his disciples on that Passover night before he would go to the cross. He said, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them and saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you and in the new covenant in my blood. Communion that we celebrate together regularly. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember this. this com- we call it communion, again, because we are communing with one another, with the Lord. Fellowship, joyful, giving thanks, again, for all that is ours because of his sacrifice for us. And then knowing that we will again one day have that, that banquet, that feast with him going forward. He said, I won't drink this cup again until he drinks it with us at that banquet that day. Well, so we see here as through this process, the Passover, the, the days of the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread that is, that is there, again, the feast around all of that. But then, at the, culminating then with the, the Feast of First Fruits. And now, again, remember, all three of these are tied together. They all come together within the course of a week. Now, the first two, Passover and Unleavened Bread, God outlines for us in, in the Word here the days that those happen. Those happen on the same day every year. In verse 5, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. So that day is outlined clearly. And then on the 15th day, verse 6, on the same month, there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you have Passover the 14th, Unleavened Bread on the 15th. Now the next one, First Fruits, it tells us that that takes place, read on down a little further, but that takes place the day after the Sabbath that follows Passover, which, because one, the Passover is the 14th, uh, unleavened bread the 15th, that day is gonna vary year to year. But the Sabbath never changes, that's Saturday. The day following the Sabbath is Sunday. What happened the day after the Sabbath, the 1,500 years after this, the, the, the one that we're talking about with, with Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, communion, what happened the day after the Sabbath on that week? He rose from the dead. And as, 
as the word tells us, as the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus was not the first person to ever rise from the dead. Jesus himself raised several people from the dead. Elijah did. We've studied that, some of those in the Old Testament. So what does that mean, first fruits? Well, he's the first one to rise and never die again. He's the, one to fir- he's the first one ever to rise as he did. And he is the first fruits because, guys, as believers, that's the resurrection that awaits us. That's the promise that we have, a bodily resurrection with him and to live eternally and to have that fellowship with him forever. Guys, that's a promise for us, a promise. The, that, so that, that's the first, the first one, the first feast that we'll look at. Secondly, actually, the Feast of Weeks, that is the next one that's outlined starting in verse 15, that happens 50, 50 days later after, after the resurrection, after the Feast of, of First Fruits. 50 days, Penta, where we get our word, the Pentecost, that's where that comes from. And again, 50 days after that, when we're looking at the fulfillment of it in Jesus, what took place then? We studied that in Acts as we've been going through that. Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out and the, and, and the church was born. The, 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 the Christian church was born. And as I look at that, guys, I'm so thankful for the fellowship of believers for the fellowship here at Calvary Chapel Surprise, but fellowship with other Christian believers. What a joy that is. Just a taste of heaven that we have as we fellowship with one another. Then, the, and, and that one, the Feast, the feast of, of Weeks, also as with the Feast of Booths, which happens in the fall, the Feast of Weeks in the spring, the Feast of Booths in the fall, were very similar, if we're, as we look at it, and it's kind of what got me down this path today, to our thanksgiving, because they were giving thanks for what God had provided for them that God had given to them. They would bring their, their, their first grain offerings and, and those types of things. As again, thankful to God for all that he has given. And looking at the, the second one, which is towards the end, beginning in verse 33, the Feast of Booths. This, this one again took place in the fall, the fall harvest, and it was a time to remember how God took care of the children of Israel as they traveled through the the wilderness before they came into the promised land. They lived in temporary shelters, but to remember how God provided for them, how God protected them and, and everything through all of that. They would actually build, and they still do some, build temporary structures and live in tents for a period of 10 days during that time again to remember that time. So we see these, these feasts that God instituted. And again, just as a, as a reminder, Back to the beginning, places to meet with him. Designated times to focus on him and to, to connect with him and to give, to give thanks, to be thankful. And as I mentioned, that word th- giving thanks or thanksgiving used over 50 times in the New Testament. One, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The other, in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice in that it says, in everything give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Doesn't that sound like an impossible thing? (laughs) In everything, to give thanks? But guys, I think that that's one one of the points of that verse is to make us take a step back and to think about that. In everything that goes on, give thanks. Now, is that because God needs to have his ego stroked? We need, to t- we need to make sure that we tell him thanks or he's going to get his feelings hurt or, you know. No. It's told us in there, in everything, give thanks because, guys, that helps us stay focused. That helps us stay calibrated. That helps us with the understanding that, again, every good and perfect gift comes from him. And as we heard this weekend, that God has this design and this plan that he's going to work it all together for good. Now, we might not understand it. We might not see it as it's happening. But if we're giving thanks for everything and trusting in him for everything, that blessing continues to come. That understanding will be revealed enough for us to continue to move down that path. And I know that there's no doubt as we look past, back through the year, we can go through and we could, all, probably every one of us, come up with many things that we're thankful for. But there's probably everyone in the room too that there's a few things that you might say right now, I'm having a hard time being thankful for that. It's really hard for me to be thankful for losing this person in my life or for going through this or this person treating me this way or whatever that is. It's it's, it's really hard, really difficult. I'm having a hard time being thankful. Well, this, this week, as I was just reflecting on something in particular that was happening God just just so blessed me with an illustration. I'd just like to share with you in that. Because what is, we got to experience this on Monday. We as, as Phoenicians don't get to experience this very often. But what is universally one of the most peaceful sounds, one of the most relaxing sounds, the sound of rain, Right? How many of you opened up your window this week just to hear the rain? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, just, to, just to hear that. And I got up really early this week, and it was still raining when I got up. And just to sit there and listen to that, it was just so peaceful. So, I mean, it just, it just enlightens you, doesn't it? Well, on the flip side of that, what's universally one of the most annoying sounds I mean, okay, running your fingers down a chalkboard, you know, we can go through a couple of those. But the sound of dripping water out of a faucet, right? Just, doesn't that drive you crazy if you're in the middle of the night and it's just that drip, drip, you got to get up and you got to take, because it's annoying. Well, what is rain? 
What's rain? A bunch of drips falling. But God's orchestrating it. The rain doesn't come because there's a leaky faucet. The rain comes because God is sending the drips. <laughs> and guys, those things, that, when we look at it that way, those things that maybe have been a real problem, have been really difficult, have been a real annoyance, if we look at it again in the grand scheme of things, that God is working all things together for good, again, as we heard this weekend, the end, the end product of all of that is to make us like Christ. We allow all of those things to work through. And we see, and again, I, just a quick look at it tonight. I hope it made a little sense. <laughs> but that God desires fellowship with us. He desires to bless us. He desires to have close, intimate relationship with us. And he knows that that's impossible on our end. As a matter of fact, before, before all of the, that Jesus did everything he did for us, we wanted nothing to do with him. We didn't want the fellowship. While, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us that much. That's how he displayed his love for us. And he desired fellowship so much for us that he went through all of it. He didn't have to. But we needed him to. So I, I know some kids are getting, are getting a little restless. So thank you for hanging, hanging, hanging with me on that. I do want to close with this, though. I would like, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's everybody stand up. And I want you to, families, it's okay, stick your families together or whatever, but turn around and, and find somebody close by you. If you don't know who's around you, introduce yourself, maybe in groups of five or six, Introduce yourself and share with them something that you're thankful for. And then together as a little group, would you just say a little prayer and a prayer of thanksgiving together as a group to God for all that he's done for you.